to all of you in Alma and uh, St. John's and online in Mount Pleasant, a very good morning to you. Uh, who here grew up with uh, Sesame Street? I grew up watching Sesame Street. Do you remember Snuffleupagus? I am Snuffleupagus this morning. So if I am spluttering or sound a little bit nasally, my apologies. I just got a little bit of a bug, but I'm on the back end of it here. So praise God. Great to be together. Uh, speaking of the back end, right at the back end of the book of Ephesians, we've just got a few more uh, verses and chapters that we're going to be looking at. And uh, we'll be wrapping up this book that has been really been most of the summer for us. And a heads up, I don't know if you were listening very carefully to that passage of scripture that was just read, but uh, today we got a little bit of a hot potato, and next week we got a little bit of a hot potato. There's some verses in there that can be very difficult for people, can be a little bit challenging to understand, particularly today and also next week. But I, and some people get kind of stuck, and so I'm actually really excited to take a look at some stuff here uh, this week and next week and uh, see what the Lord would speak to us. So I want to launch right in, uh, in chapter 5, verse 21, there's a little short and sweet verse that's going to kick us off here. It simply says this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's not something that most people want to do, to submit to anybody about anything at all. Uh, nobody really wants to do that. But this verse says, I want you to submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. So who is Paul speaking to, who's the author of this letter? Well, Paul is writing to a church. And so uh, Paul would say the same thing to community church today. Those of you who are online in St. John's, in Alma, and in Mount Pleasant, uh, Paul would say to you through the Word of God, uh, we submit our lives to each other. And immediately what that does, it takes the idea of head and it just flips it right on its head because for so many people, it's like, church, yeah, church is great. I go to church. Uh, I go there for about an hour on a Sunday. I like that. That's great. And uh, he's saying something quite uh, more expansive than that. Sometimes we feel like church is this thing on an hour uh, for one day of the week. And maybe I'll pop in and maybe I'll say hello to one or two people. Maybe I'll grab a coffee. Maybe I won't. Maybe I'll head straight out the door. But immediately, Paul is communicating a depth of relationship that is meant to exist between those people who call themselves, I'm a part of the church. That there is meant to be an interconnectedness and an interdependence, a genuine knowing of each other, a willingness to open up my life and your life to each other, and that in the context of relationship, we would submit to each other, listen to each other, give preference to each other, so that our lives would give honor and glory to Jesus Christ. Church, is that easy to do? No, that is not easy to do at all. Do we want to do that? No, none of us really want to do that at all. You spend time around people, and you're like, oh, they're nice people. But then you meet them again, you're like, well, I'm not really so sure. <laughs> so it's maybe easy to do once you get together with some people, and you're like, ah, oh, that's fine. But then you meet them a second time, and that was a bit awkward, you know. I didn't like what that so-and-so said about that thing. And it may be a third time. Ah, there's actually a bit of tension there. I don't really know what to do with that. Uh, I don't really know if they're the kind of people that I could trust. I, I don't know if I feel like that we're alike uh, you know, maybe, maybe we wouldn't get along. The reason why we do this is not because of our perceived quality of the other person. It cannot be that. The reason we do that, the basis of this relationship, uh, the basis for serving each other, if that's the quality where we're like, whether we get along or not, it just won't take very long for any one of us to say, well, I'm out the door. I'm just not so sure about that person. Those people, that girl, that guy, 
sorry, in my opinion, they don't make the grade. So I'm just not going to submit my life to them at all. And the truth be told, maybe somebody's thinking that about you. So why would we do this? What is the motive? And it's very simply put in this short and sweet little verse. We do this out of reverence to Jesus Christ. That's the reason why we do this. Not because we like them or we necessarily get along with them or we think they're meeting our standard or we've got things in common. No, we do this because we want to give reverence to Jesus Christ. That's the glue that connects us, not just the first time when it might be easy, but the second time maybe they bother you a little bit and the third time where maybe something even breaks down. But out of reverence to Jesus Christ who said, I will build this company of people and the glue that will hold them together is me, the person of Jesus Christ. All right, let's get into the fun stuff. Verse 22, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Men, can I hear an amen? <laughs> Alba and St. John's, in Mount Pleasant, I didn't hear a single amen. <laughs> I don't know what happened in the other campuses this morning. In Star Wars, there's a line, it's a trap. <laughs> Don't fall for this one. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives must submit, should submit to their husbands in everything. I asked my wife to attend both services today. I said, I think you need to listen to this. <laughs> I did not do that. <laughs> not at all. That's hard for women to hear. All right, guys, your turn. This is what's hard for the men to hear. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives. And we're like, okay, sure, I can do that. No, 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 check it out. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What is the one thing that you would say would give a, a defining expression to how Christ has loved the church and gave himself up for her? Could you point to one thing in the ministry of Jesus Christ that would define that and express that? That would be the, the cross. I'm supposed to love my wife? Like getting nailed to a piece of wood to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one, who hate, no one ever hated their own body but they feed and they care for their body just as Christ does the church for we are members of the body. Now Paul's about to say something and he's going to grab a verse all the way from the beginning of the Bible from the book of Genesis and he quotes it. He says, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each of you must, so must, not an option. So it's this sense of like, my wife is amazing. Like I'm the biggest cheerleader. My husband is the best thing since sliced bread. I mean, that's what we're doing right now as husbands and wives. You must do this. You love your wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. God is looking for this relationship. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. And I pray, Lord, that you would take us by the hand right now and you would lead us and guide us into truth that would bless even marriages and homes and families and single people in the name of Jesus. Amen.
What if I came up to you this morning and I said, hey, I need you to do me a solid. Uh, next Sunday, I need you to preach. Uh, there's about 10% of you listening to me who would be like, bring it on. I'd, I'd be delighted. I would love to do that. Uh, but there's about 90% of you listening to me, and if you were given the option between preaching next Sunday or jumping out of a plane, you'd be like, how high is that plane? Uh, I, don't, I don't know that I would really like to do that at all. The idea of standing up here and preaching a message, there, most of you will be like, oh, could you ask me to do anything else? Or could you find anybody else to do that? I don't want to do that. And it's not just the idea that you could come up here and sort of preach your pet peeve or your, pre- your pet subject, but that everything out of your mouth would give honor and glory to God, and that the people who were listening to, that you would look out and you would look at them, and there would be something inside of you would say, I genuinely care for these people. Like, I, I know these people, and I love these people, and I want God's best for them. And then also this awareness that on any given week, people are walking through the door, and for some of them, man, life is just, they're blackened blue and maybe their marriage is crumbling or maybe they are genuinely down and depressed and having a hard time and emotionally low or they're struggling with health issues or they just found out the news that someone that they care and love has cancer or something like that and and the weight of all of that and what if I said to you but what if God took away all of your fears and all of your anxiety and any worry that you would have and you could actually stand up and, and preach a message but it would change their life I think most of you would probably say, well, if, if I really wasn't worried and anxious and fearful about that, and it really would like, change people's lives through the power of the word of God, maybe I would probably do that. And then to ask you, then what would your week look like between today and next Sunday? Something inside of you would be like, man, I'd be on my knees. I'd be opening up the Bible. I'd be like soaking it into me. I'd be getting every commentary and spiritual book I'd get my hands on. I'd be just eating them and and getting that ready as best I can. I would try my very, very best to prepare so that maybe, maybe God's grace could flow into somebody else's life. And if I had a chance to speak God's word, I would take the chance to speak to my loved ones, to speak into family and friends and neighbors and colleagues. I would do that with God's help. All right, pastor, where are you going? The text that we just read, the temptation is to think, husbands love your wives, wives, I need you to respect and care for your husbands. Yep, so what are we going to get today? We're going to get a message on marriage. But I actually think that there's more in these verses. Because Paul does something very, very sneaky in this passage. And I want you to really pay attention to this, if you would. Paul, what is it that you're talking about? What is it that you're talking about here? And he says this in verse 32. He says, this is a profound mystery. He's referring to marriage. Marriage is a profound mystery. And then he suddenly basically says, look, all of these preceding verses that I just talked about, here's what I'm talking about. And he says this, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Everything I just said about the way husbands and wives are to be together Here's what I'm actually talking about. It is a profound mystery. I'm talking about Jesus Christ and the church. That's the point of this. I'm sorry, I'm ready for a sermon about marriage. Nope. I'm talking about Christ and the church. This is not a sermon about how to have a nicer marriage or how to be happier in your marriage. I'm talking about Jesus and the church. So Paul, where are you going with this? For some of us, 
We came in here this morning wanting to hear something for us, something for our marriages. And Jesus is saying to us today, I'm looking to communicate a word not to your marriage, but through your marriage. Your marriage may be the best sermon that you ever get to preach. I'm looking to communicate to others through your marriage. Your marriage will be the vehicle by which I talk about my love for the church and the church's love for me. Your marriage is the mouthpiece of God to proclaim how he feels about the church and how the church feels about him. We're waiting for God to say something to us, but he's waiting for, to say something through us. Jesus oftentimes would stand up to proclaim truth about the kingdom of God, and he would just tell a story. That's all he did. And sometimes he wouldn't even explain it. He just stood up and told a story and left. And everyone just had the story. Imagine if I did that this morning. Imagine if I could do anything as close to Jesus and tell like a perfect story. And then I didn't elaborate on it or explain it or apply it or none of that. And I just went and left. But he did that. And Jesus is saying, this is a profound mystery. Your marriage is the sermon. Your marriage is you preaching to the world. Your marriage is this story that I want you to tell. Your marriage, every single day, is talking about what? Your marriage is talking about my son, Jesus Christ. Is there any question then why the enemy hates marriage? Hates it. Is there any reason then that the enemy is against marriage? This isn't a message about what God wants to say to you. It's a message about what God wants to say through you. Your marriage is meant to say something about how God feels about the church all the time. In fact, it is a profound mystery why, uh, why he would do this. Why is it profound? Why does he use this language? Here's why it's profound. Do you remember he quoted from the book of Genesis in this passage? And here's what he's saying in Genesis. When the scripture was written in the book of Genesis, was there any church like we understand the church at that time? Not at all. That didn't come to the book of Acts in the New Testament. Did anyone have a context of Jesus to talk about Jesus the way that we would talk about Jesus today in the book of Genesis as that was written? Not really. No, maybe, maybe some hints, but not like the way we talk about Jesus. Here's the profound mystery. Already in the foreknowledge and the purposes of God at the very beginning of creation, God was planning to use Adam and Eve's marriage as the communicative vessel to begin to talk about his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ and the way he loves the church and the way the church loves Jesus and honors Jesus. You see, the story for God is so magnificent. The story for God is so huge that he's just been retelling the story again and again. It's so significant. It's so close to his heart. Jesus Christ and the church, the people of God, this is the story that God wants to speak. Adam and Eve, I want your marriage to reflect this. This is the profound ministry from, from the very beginning of creation. Somewhere in the, in the deep purposes and foreknowledge of God. Already before the foundation of the world, God was working and moving to put in place a vessel that would help people to hear and understand how he feels about you and me, the family of God and his son, Jesus Christ. He's already thinking, you see, I've got this plan. 
I got this plan. I'm going to bring my son, Jesus Christ, and my people, and I'm going to bring them together. This is my magnificent story. I'm going to do something, and it is so profound, so mysterious, but that others would look at them and say, they would look at marriages and say, that's a remarkable love. That is remarkable. That has to be pointing to something bigger, far more beautiful, far more profound than just pointing at you and I. It's like you're getting a magnifying glass. And you know if you point it at something on the ground, and of course it begins to heat up, and it begins to heat up. That's what our marriages allow us to do. It allows us to show other people something of the brilliance of God, something of the glory of God, something of the splendor of God shining through. And you see, you begin to see something, it's just a glimpse of the power and the effect and the meaning, but it doesn't even begin to explain in all of its fullness the power of the sun that's actually going through that magnifying glass. But it's shining in all of its brilliance. It's like two small children with this little magnifying glass and they're mesmerized by the power of this. And in some way, our marriages get to do that in this world. God gets to shine literally through this relationship that we share with each other so that people can see what God looks like. Some of you were brought up in homes with parents Maybe they didn't even know God at all. But all the time, God was actually preaching to you about Jesus Christ and the church. It's extraordinary. And every day that you got up, here's another sermon for you. Let me show you once again about my love for my people. This is a profound mystery from the beginning of time. God is looking to preach to us through our marriages, about how God feels about the church. And if that tells me anything, it just tells me that like, God just doesn't get tired of talking about Jesus Christ, his son. God just doesn't get tired of talking about you. He just doesn't get tired of talking about this, the church that comes together. Do you ever get tired of the whole church thing? That's another trap, isn't it? <laughs> Sunday morning excitement level, maybe it's high, maybe it's low, maybe you just about made it in here today. Here's the heart of God. He just keeps talking about it. He just keeps preaching about it. These are my people. This is my son. For some of you, you like you look at your marriage today and you're like, <laughs> not my marriage. That's not the communicative vessel through which God is going to, no, 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 not my marriage, not the way it is right now. Why would I even try? Because it feels like a one-way street. There's some stuff that's pretty broken when we close the door at night. Why would I even try to do that and reflect that? In the Old Testament, there's a prophet. His name is Hosea. And God says to him, why don't you get married, Hosea? It's like, great. I've got this particular girl I want you to marry. And in the text, she's either, it's either that God knows that she will be unfaithful in the marriage or that God is aware that she's actually kind of shocking. She's a prostitute. God says to a prophet to marry that woman. You can just see Hosea. What? What do you want me to do? Why would you ask me to do that? She's unfaithful. And we see all the way through the story, actually it talks about these children that she gives birth to. So she's another child and another child and another child. And in all likelihood, they're not Hosea's. He's not the father. They're from other men. 
The one, she goes down to that corner that everybody knows what happens on that corner. Everyone makes jokes about that corner. Oh, if you want that, you go to that corner in the city. Everyone knows where it is. Everyone knows what time you go there and what will happen. And she goes down and she walks through the marketplace and she's going to sell her body. Yes, Hosea, I want you to marry her. It's a sermon. It's a story. It's a picture. It's a picture of who I am. I am the faithful husband. That's who I am. And this is the people of Israel. And they are unbelievably unfaithful. And I just keep loving them. Hosea, I want you to go back to her again. I don't want to go back to her again. I'm, I am I'm shattered. Yeah, Hosea, I want you to go back to her again. Hosea, go and find her. And Hosea gets up and he goes to find his wife. And he goes and he walks through the marketplace. And he goes to that corner of the city that everybody knows about. Can you imagine everybody looking at him? There's poor Hosea. I know why he's here. We all know why he's here. He's come to get his wife again. She is standing on the street corner prostituting herself. Look at that. The enigma, the embarrassment of it. Why is he doing this? Why would he go back for her? And Hosea is walking through the crowds knowing that everybody is looking at his marriage. Everybody is seeing his marriage and it's a catastrophe. They're looking at it. It is preaching. It is a story. It is a picture that is being told. Even a disaster of a catastrophe of a marriage. God is going to find his unfaithful wife again. And he says to her, come home with me. I love you. God says, that's a picture of me in the church. I want you to preach a message. That's the... That's the message to be preached from your marriage today. Even your marriage. We get to the New Testament and it takes a turn. Because as shocking as the Old Testament story is, it, it takes a turn because that's actually not the picture that we get. Instead, in this picture, we actually see a picture of a husband and wife that are loving each other. Because what's happened in the New Testament is the Holy Spirit has turned up and they're not doing the things that they used to do. Praise God. This is not a picture of unfaithfulness and faithfulness. It's actually just a picture of two people who love each other through thick and thin, for better, for worse. And God is saying, yeah, that's how I feel about my church. And we just get blown away by this affection. But he also says, and yes, that's the way the church feels about me. Church, don't you just love Jesus? Don't you just want to honor him and praise him today? Isn't God amazing? Isn't this how we feel about our king? I mean, if I were to ask you this morning, like, is there anybody here? Like, would you pray for the sake of Jesus? I, I think every one of you would be like, of course I would. If I were to ask you today, like, would you give and would you serve and would you wash feet and would you feed the poor uh, and would you sacrifice? Would you give your finances? Would you give your time? I bet you the vast majority of this church would be like, of course I would do that. I'd do that in a heartbeat. Hasn't God just done something inside of us where we would just say, man, we are his church and we love him. We are his church and we love each other. Amen. I don't know if you know this, but every time you look at a marriage,
God's preaching to you about the church. Sometimes the kids are rolling their eyes at me and Kelly because we're making out in the kitchen. I got some smooth moves. Got some little, little dancing going on in the kitchen and the kids are like, <laughs> and they're rolling their eyes. And as I was thinking this through, man, I, I couldn't help but think of one thing in my marriage with Kelly. Uh, my wife is always trying to serve me. She's just always trying to do that. And I'm trying to beat her in that competition. I'm trying to outserve her. And here's, how it, here's the, the most common way that this happens. Uh, Do you ever make the, the horrible mistake in an evening where you, you sit down on the couch and then you realize, I can't get up off the couch. Right. Sometimes I'll make an announcement. Like we'll have the dinner and you know help out and kids and have the chat. And then I'm like, I just make an announcement. It's like public town square proclamation. From henceforth, the father shall be sitting upon the couch, which is code for I'm not getting off the couch until somebody wants to roll me up to bed. I'm tired. And about 45 minutes later or whatever, it'll be like, oh, it's time to wrap it up and let's get up to bed. And, and I'll look over the kitchen and be like, oh no. There's a few pots right there. There's some dishes. And, uh, you know, kitchen needs a bit of a once-over. And I know what Kelly's going to do. She's going to do her sneaky, sneaky. And I'm like, I don't want her to do that because I know she's tired. So I'll do my best Irish ninja move. And I'll get into the kitchen. And I'll be like, da, 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 And then I'll turn around and there she'll be. And I'll be like, yeah, put the pot. I'm doing this. Put the pot down. I'm doing this. She's like, she always says the same thing to me. She always like, It'll be faster if we do it together. And the kids are like, uh, stop it. <laughs> and, and I'm like, no, seriously, I, I want you to sit down. You're tired. And she's like, no, we'll just do it together. And then we start fighting. And so I'm not joking you. And the kids are like rolling their eyes. Like, and so then what I do, it's a slight domestic abuse here, is I'm stronger than Kelly. So I just like, I dance with her and I bring her over to the couch and I will put her on the couch. I can pick her up and I can do all kinds of things with my wife. Just put her on the couch. And she's like, no, I'm going to do that. I'm like, I got this. I got this. And the kids are like, cut it out, mom and dad. That's enough. Uh, what's happening here? <laughs> I used to think, that's a moment where Kelly's loving me. That's what I see in that. God says, no. In every moment like that where she's been loving you, in every single moment, she's actually been preaching a message to you about how I love the church and how I gave myself up for the church and how I served the church and how I died for the church. You see it in a thousand different ways for a husband and a wife. Your wife, your husband has been preaching to you for years. Some of you are ready to give up and it's, it's my happiness and all that stuff. That's not what's at stake. What's at stake is the glory of God. It's more than just, am I happy here? My life, my relationship with my wife, your relationship with your wife or your husband, this preaching thing that we do, I think on our best days, it may be the best sermon that you ever get to preach. Because you see, when Alan and Kelly are in the zone, and we're not always in the zone, but when we're in the zone and when we're holding hands, God's like, that's how I hold your hand. That's how I hold the hand of the church. 
That's how Jesus loves the church. That's how he holds our hands. Because when Alan and Kelly are doing well, when they're loving each other, that's the heart of God being demonstrated. And God's been preaching to you a million sermons. And you didn't even know it. So that you would know how he feels about you and how, people, and how you feel about him. Truth be told, you may not get to preach here next Sunday. In fact, I'm going to be preaching here next Sunday. And maybe some of you will never fill a pulpit. And maybe you think, I could never be used. I could never preach. I would say to you, you might have been preaching your entire life. Even if it's just you and your husband or you and your wife. Ah, I don't know. People don't listen to me. My kids don't pay any attention to me. I can't quite connect. No, you're preaching to your spouse. You are preaching to your children. You are preaching to your grandchildren. You are preaching to this community, to this church. Perhaps it's the greatest sermon that has ever been preached. Christ and his church, it's the one thing that he just keeps saying again and again and again. And we want to listen to a sermon and sit down and get something for us that's going to make us happy and give us a nice marriage. And I get that, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing, want, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be happy. But in this text, I, I would just say to you, yes, God absolutely cares, but God's word for your life today is not actually about your happiness. It's about his glory that's what this is about. What's at stake here is the glory of God. And that's your sermon to preach. It also means that the church is significantly closer to the heart of God than we realize. Ah, sure, it's just a church. You remember? Might grab a coffee, maybe I won't. Maybe I'll talk to somebody, maybe I'll leave. Ask just an hour, yeah, I'll go there on a Sunday. This may be the whole emphasis of the book of Ephesians, the significance of the church, the value of the church. It's close to the heart of God. This is not a country club. Christ lived and died for the church and you're a part of the church. Amen. For those of you who are single, I want to give one last thought if I could. If you're single, sometimes the thought is this. If only I could be married, well, then I'd be happy. And some of the married people are thinking, if only I could be single. Some of you are disappointed with not being married and some of you are disappointed with being married. The reality of this, the world would say to you, the answer is, if only I could be married. And I just want to say to you, it simply is not true. Single or married, you are loved by God. Amen? Single or married. And here's why I know this is true, because the Bible isn't preaching about marriage. It's not glorifying marriage. It's glorifying the relationship between Jesus and the church. It's not preaching about itself. If it was the best thing ever, it would be preaching about itself. It's not. It's talking about Jesus and the church. Jesus actually is the best thing ever. Marriage is a blessing, but Jesus is the answer. And here's what we need. He's what we're after. Some of us, I get it. Our marriages are all over the place and we're on survival mode. And it's not meant to be like that. We're not meant to be dependent on every need to be met within the other person. Those needs are, met, are meant to be met in the person of Jesus Christ. So whether you're single or whether you're married, Jesus is the answer and the blessing that you're waiting on. The other person is not there to meet all of your needs. Take the pressure off them. Take the blame off of them. Take that responsibility off of them. You being right, you having your way. God has called you. And I would encourage you to stop blaming singleness for unhappiness. You are loved by God today. Today I want to pray for some marriages. And if you'd like to receive prayer for your marriage, 
love to pray with you in all of our campuses at the end of this service. You can come up in a minute or two. But here's the prayer. It's not that you would have a perfect marriage. It's not that you would be, I want to just be happy. I need to be happier. And in some ways, there can be a shallowness in that. Instead, here's the prayer. I want the glory of God to be shown in my marriage. That people would look at your marriage and say, it's ridiculous the way that they love each other. It's ridiculous the way that they respect each other. It's unbelievable the kindness that they show to each other. It is pointing to something beyond them. Somehow that points to God and his church over every marriage that is stale or dry or dark or barren or difficult. I'm praying the glory of God over your home and your family and your vows and your love and your union that he would come and he would touch your marriages. And for those of you who are single today, that you would find and know Jesus as the answer. And perhaps one day you will be married. But Christ is the source of your love and acceptance. I want to pray and we're going to worship and as I pray elders and prayer team and staff would you come forward and then as we worship God if there's anybody here who wants prayer for their marriage for the glory of God to shine through your marriage would you come on up as we worship and we'd love to pray with you so let's pray and then we'll worship Holy Spirit would you please give us a new awareness of how you've been speaking and preaching to us over the years I pray the marriages in this church would be powerful, powerful sermons. Nothing less than the glory of God. The absolute glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, can we stand and worship? And those of you who'd like prayer, come on forward.